Section 11 of Historic Adventure Tales from American History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Historic Adventure Tales from American History by Rupert S. Holland. Chapter 11 How the United States Made Friends with Japan. One of the beautiful names that the Japanese have given to their country is Land of Great Peace, and at no time was this name more appropriate than in the middle of the nineteenth century. Two hundred years before the last of the civil wars of Japan had come to an end, and the people, weary of years of bloodshed, had turned delightedly to peaceful ways. The rice fields were replanted, artisans returned to their crafts, shops opened again, and poets and painters followed the call of their arts. The samurai, or warriors, sheathed their swords, though they still regarded them as their very souls. They hung their armor in their ancestral halls, and spent their time in sport or idleness. The Demusa, or nobles of Japan, lived either in the city of Do, or at their country houses, taking their ease, and gradually forgetting the arts of war on which their power had been founded. All the people were quite contented, and had no desire to trade with the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, they knew almost nothing about other countries, except through English or Russian sailors, who occasionally landed on their coasts. Japan was satisfied to be a hermit nation. On the afternoon of the seventh day of July, 1853, or the third day of the sixth month of Kei, in the reign of the Emperor Komai, the farmers working in the muddy rice fields near the village of Uraga saw a strange sight. It was a clear summer afternoon, and the beautiful mountain Fuji, its cone wreathed in white clouds, could be seen from sea and shore. What startled the men in the fields, the people in the village, and the boatmen in the harbor, was a fleet of vessels coming to anchor in the Bay of Do. These monsters, with their sails furled, although they were heading against the wind, were shooting tongues of smoke from their great black throats. "'See the fire vessels!' cried the Japanese to each other. When the peasants asked the priests where the monsters came from, the wise men answered that they were the fire vessels of the barbarians who lived in the west. The monsters were four ships of the United States Navy, the Mississippi, Susquehanna, Plymouth, and Saratoga, all under command of Commodore Matthew Calbraith Perry. The fleet dropped anchor in the wide bay, forming a long broadside to the shore. The gun ports were opened, and sentries set to guard against attack by pirates or by fire junks. As the anchors splashed in the water, rockets shot up from one of the forts on shore, signaling to the court at Dull that the barbarians had reached Japan. The town of Uraga was usually not a very busy place, and the government officers spent their time drinking tea, smoking, and lounging in the sun, and occasionally collecting custom duties from junks bound to other harbors. But there was a great bustle on the day the strange ships arrived. The chief magistrate, or Bunil, his interpreter, 
and suite of attendants put on their formal dress of hempen cloth and fastened their lacquered ornamented hats to their heads with two swords in each belt the party marched to the shore and boarded their state barge twelve oarsmen rowed it to the nearest foreign ship but when they tried to fasten ropes to the vessel so that they might go on board the barbarians threw off the ropes and gestured to them to keep away the japanese officer was surprised to find that although he was gorgeously robed and his companions carried spears and the tokugawa trefoil flag the barbarians were not at all impressed they told him through an interpreter that their commander wished to confer with the governor himself the officer answered that the governor was not allowed to board foreign ships after some further discussion the surprised japanese was permitted to climb the gangway ladder and meet the barbarians on the deck of their vessel commodore perry knew that the japanese loved mystery high-sounding names and ceremonies and so he stayed in his cabin and would not show himself to the visitors a secretary carried his messages and explained that the mysterious commodore had come on a friendly mission and bore a letter from the president of the united states to the emperor of japan which he wished to present with all proper ceremony he declined to go to nagasaki and insisted that he should remain in Dobei, and added that although his visit was entirely friendly he would not allow any inquisitive sightseers to prowl about his fleet very much impressed with the power of this hidden barbarian the japanese officer immediately ordered all the small boats the punts and sampans that had gathered about the fleet to row away the officer and his bodyguard returned to shore and told the villagers that the visitors were very remarkable men who were not at all impressed by their costumes or weapons the japanese had no such title as commodore in their language and they referred to perry as admiral and credited him with almost as much majesty as their own hidden mikado or as the mighty shogun the western coast of japan was much excited that night rockets from the forts and huge watch fires on the cliffs told the whole country that a most unusual event had happened the peasants set out their sacred images and prayed to them as they had not done in years it was evident that the gods of japan were punishing the people for their neglect by sending these great fire vessels to disturb the coast to add to the general excitement a wonderful light appeared in the sky about midnight spreading a pale red and blue path across the heavens as though a dragon were flying through space priests and soothsayers made the most of this display of northern lights and pointed out that the fire vessels clearly revealed in the harbor must have something to do with this strange omen the governor of uraga himself with a retinue of servants all clad in embroidered gowns and lacquered helmets and each carrying two swords went out to the flagship next morning he had evidently overlooked the fact that the barbarians had been told on the day before that the governor could not pay such a visit to their fleet the governor was used to being received with a great deal of attention and to having people bow to the ground as he went by but on the deck of the susquehanna the sailors looked at him with simple curiosity and when he asked to speak with the mysterious admiral he was told that he would only be allowed to speak with the captains these men said that their commander would only wait three days for an answer from do as to whether the mikado would receive the letter of the president they showed him the magnificent box that held the letter and the governor's curiosity grew even greater 
when he left the flagship he had promised to urge the american's cause next day the men dressed in silk and brocade painted helmets and gleaming sashes eager to visit the ships again were surprised to learn that the barbarian prince would transact no business his interpreter declared that it was a day of religious observance known as sunday the people on shore heard the sailors of the fleet singing hymns a strange sound in those waters hastily the japanese offered new presents at the shrines of their own gods to ensure protection from the barbarians by now the hermit people thought they might have to guard themselves and began to build earthworks along the shore farmers fishermen shopkeepers women and children were pressed into service rude embankments were thrown up and enormously heavy brass cannon were placed at openings the old samurai who had almost forgotten warfare sought out their weapons and gathered their troops their armor consisted of jackets of silk iron and paper their arms were old matchlocks and spears they could have fought each other but they were several hundred years behind the barbarians in military matters on the hills they set up canvas tents with flags bearing flaming dragons and the other emblems of their clans in the days of their civil wars bright-colored trappings had played an important part Do was then the chief city of japan when perry arrived in eighteen fifty three it was the home of the shogun iyoshi who was the real ruler of the land although the mikado was called the sovereign Do had between the home of a long line of shoguns of the takagawa family who had ruled the country called themselves tycoons they had built up the city and filled it with palaces and temples that had never been equaled in magnificence the people of Do, numbering over a million were greatly excited when they heard of the fleet of warships lying in their great bay the shogun his courtiers and his warriors bestirred themselves at once soldiers were summoned armor polished swords unsheathed castles repaired and everything possible done to make an impression on the strangers the chief men knew that they could not oppose this foreign admiral once they had had war vessels of their own but years of peace had reduced their navy and they could not defend their coasts the shogun was afraid that the admiral might insist upon seeing the mikado at kyoto and that it would be a great blow to his own dignity after hours of debate and discussion he chose two diamos to receive the letter of the american president millard fillmore and sent word to all coast towns to man their forts perry had played the game well and so far had allowed no japanese to see him he wanted to make a treaty with japan and he knew that to succeed he must impress his oriental people with his dignity he allowed his captains and two diamos to arrange a meeting to be held at a little town called kirahama near the port of uraga each side had tried to outdo the other in politeness the american captains had received the japanese officers with great respect had served them wines and seated them in upholstered armchairs the japanese regretted that they could not provide their guests with armchairs or with wine on shore but the visitors assured them that they would be willing to adopt japanese customs by july fifteenth the scene for the meeting was ready hundreds of yards of canvas with the takagawa trefoil had been stretched along the road to kirahama hundreds of retainers clad in all the colors of their feudal days were gathered about the tents and on the beach stood as many soldiers glittering in their lacquered armor the american officers were almost as brilliantly dressed as the japanese they wore coats with a great many bright brass buttons and curious shaped hats cocked on their heads 
they brought musicians with them who played on cornets and drums and the music was quite unlike anything the natives had ever heard before three hundred of the barbarians landed and marched from the beach to the main tent while the eager-eyed people lined the road and wondered at their strange appearance two or three big sailors carried the american flag and back of them came two boys with a mysterious red box that had been shown to the officers of the port back of them marched the great commodore clad in full uniform and on either side of him strode a black man armed with a large sabre many of the japanese had never seen a white man before and still fewer had ever looked upon a negro they were therefore very much impressed by the procession the officers of the shogun received their magnificent visitor at the door of the pavilion after greetings the two boys handed the box to the negro guards who opened the scarlet cloth envelope and the gold-hinged rosewood cases and laid the president's letter on a lacquered stand brought from Do. a receipt for the president's letter was then handed to the commodore who said that he would return to japan the next spring probably in april or may the meeting lasted half an hour and then with the same pomp and ceremony the americans returned to their ships for eight days the fleet remained in the bay one party of sailors landed but made no trouble and was actually so polite that the people offered them refreshments of tea and fruit at close range the barbarians were not so terrifying as the natives had thought them at first and when they embarked for their fleet the people urged them to come back again on july seventeenth the warship steamed away leaving the cliffs covered with people who gazed in astonishment at vessels that had no canvas spread but were driven entirely by fire perry's object in visiting japan was to obtain a treaty that would allow trade relations between the united states and this hermit nation he wanted to give the japanese people time to consider president fillmore's letter and so he planned to keep his squadron in eastern waters until the following spring when he would return to learn the result of his mission to do there was much of interest to him in china and he spent the autumn and part of the winter making charts of that coast and visiting ports where american merchants were already established meantime the letter of the american president had caused great excitement in japan almost as soon as perry left a messenger was sent to the shinto priests at the shrines of isa to offer prayers for the peace of the empire and to urge that the barbarians be swept away a week later the shogun Ayoshi died and left the government at odds as to what to do some of the demusa remembered the military ardor of their ancestors and wanted to fight the barbarians rather than make a treaty with them others thought that it would be madness to oppose an enemy who had such powerful ships that they could capture all the japanese junks and destroy the coast cities one powerful nobleman declared that it would be well for japan to meet the barbarians and learn from them how to build ships and lead armies so that they would be able in time to defeat them at their own arts the mikado had little to do in the discussion the actual ruler was the new shogun isada son of the former shogun while commodore perry was cruising along the coast of china he heard that french and russian merchants were planning to visit japan he was afraid that his country might lose the benefits of his visit unless he could obtain a treaty before these other countries did therefore although a midwinter cruise to japan was difficult and dangerous he determined to risk this and return at once four ships set sail for do bay february first eighteen fifty four and a week later the commodore followed with three others in the city of do the new shogun was very busy preparing either for peace or war 
a long line of forts was hurriedly built on the edge of the bay in front of the city thousands of laborers were kept at work there a great number of cannon were cast and shops worked day and night turning out guns and ammunition an old law had directed that all vessels of a certain size were to be burned and only small coasting junks built this law was repealed and all the rich deamos hurriedly built warships these ships flew a flag representing a red sun on a white background and this later became the national flag of japan a native who had learned artillery from the dutch was put in charge of the soldiers old medieval methods of fighting were abandoned and artillery that was somewhat like that of european countries was adopted in spite of all this bustle and preparation however the shogun and his advisers thought it would be wisest for them to agree to a treaty with the united states therefore a notice was issued on december second eighteen fifty three which stated that owing to want of military efficiency the americans would on their return be dealt with peaceably at the same time the old practice of fim i i e which consisted in trampling on the cross and other emblems of christianity and which had been long practiced in the city of nagasaki was abolished some men in the country were insisting that the time had come for the japanese to visit the west and learn the new arts and trades one of these was a scholar sakuma who urged the government to send japanese youths to europe to learn shipbuilding and navigation the shogun did not approve of this idea but a pupil of the scholar named yoshida shoin heard of it and decided to go abroad by himself sakuma gave him money for his expenses and advised him how he might get passage on one of the american ships when the fleet should return to japan as soon as the shogun learned that commodore perry was about to return he chose hayashi the chief professor of chinese in the university to serve as interpreter the americans had used chinese scholars in their communications with the japanese and hayashi was a man of great learning and courtly manners the shogun also found a native who understood english although the americans did not know this this man nakahama manjoro with two companions had been picked up at sea by an american captain and taken to the united states where he obtained a good education he and his two mates then decided they would return to their native land and went to hawaii where they built a whaleboat and then sailed for the coast of china on board an american merchantman in time the wanderers reached home and when the shogun heard of manjiro's travels he made him a samurai or wearer of two swords the whaleboat that he had built was used as a model for others and the traveler taught his friends some of the knowledge of the western people on february eleventh eighteen fifty four the watchmen on the hills of idutsa saw the american fleet approaching two days later the great warships of the barbarians steamed up the bay the seven vessels dropped anchor not far from yokosuka and the captain of the flagship received visits from the governor and his interpreters again the same exaggerated forms of politeness were observed in presence of many kinds fruits wines and confectionery were exchanged the japanese suggested that perry should land and meet them at kamakura or uraga but the commodore replied through his captain that he should stay where he was until the japanese had decided what they would do he gave them until february twenty first to decide about the treaty boats were sent out from the fleet daily to make surveys of the bay but none of the crews were allowed to land at length the japanese stated that they were ready to treat with the american officers and captain adams was sent to uraga to inspect the place where the fleet was to anchor and the new building in which the treaty was to be signed 
the captain with his aides entered the hall of reception and was met by a daimo named izawa the daimo was fond of joking after many polite greetings captain adams handed the nobleman a note from commodore perry izawa took out his great spectacles but before he put them on he folded up his large fan with a loud snap the americans alarmed at the noise clapped their hands to their revolvers izawa could not help laughing at their confusion but quickly adjusted his spectacles and after reading the note said that he was much gratified at the commodore's greeting rice and tea cake and oranges were served the guests a long argument followed captain adams said that the building was large enough for simple talking but not for the display of presents and that commodore perry would much rather go to the city of do the japanese answered that they much preferred that the meeting should take place at uragua or kanagawa the debate carried on through japanese interpreters was a lengthy one two days later the commodore moved his fleet ten miles farther up the bay from here his crews could see the great temple roofs castles and pagodas of do itself and could hear the bells in the city towers this advance of the fleet convinced the shogun that perry meant to go to do some of his court had thought that it would be a national disgrace if the barbarians were permitted to enter that city but the government now decided to yield the point and suggested a place directly opposite at yokohama for the place of treaty no such scene had ever been witnessed in the hermit land of japan as the one that took place there on the morning of march eighth eighteen fifty four the bay of do was covered with great state barges and junks with many colored sails on shore were hundreds of soldiers the servants of the great daimos dressed in the gorgeous costumes of earlier centuries held back by ropes were thousands of country people who had gathered from all over that part of japan to see the strange men from the west everywhere was color tents banners houses and the costumes of men women and children blazed with it the american sailors in all their voyages in the east had never seen such a brilliant picture perry was not to be outdone his men left the ships to the noise of cannon that echoed and re-echoed along the shore twenty-seven boats brought five hundred men and as soon as they landed the marines formed a hollow square while three bands played martial music the great commodore now looked upon by the japanese with awe embarked from the powhatan in his white gig more guns were fired more flags waved and with great pomp perry landed on the beach his object was to impress the hermit people with the dignity of his nation a number of meetings followed before the treaty was completed the americans insisted that vessels in need of wood coal water or provisions should be allowed to get them from shore and that the japanese should care for shipwrecked sailors they also wanted the two ports shimoda and hakodate open to them the japanese were willing provided they would not travel inland farther than they could return the same day and that no american woman should be brought into the country but when the japanese objected to the arrival of women commodore perry threw back his cloak and exclaimed great heavens if i were to admit any such stipulation as that in the treaty when i got home the women would pull out all the hairs of my head the japanese were surprised at perry's excitement thinking that they must have offended him greatly when the interpreters explained what he had actually said however both sides laughed and continued peacefully they grew more and more friendly as the meetings progressed they dined together and exchanged gifts the americans liked the sugared fruits candied nuts crabs prawns and fish that the japanese served in different forms 
while the hermit people developed a great fondness for the puddings and champagne the americans offered them when it came to gifts the eyes of the japanese opened wide at the many surprising things the barbarians had invented they were delighted with the rifles the clocks the stoves the sewing machines the model of a steam locomotive and the agricultural tools scales maps and charts that perry had brought to the mikado these presents were to open the minds of the japanese to the march of progress in the rest of the world and to teach them the uses of steam and electricity the printing press newspapers and all the other inventions that were products of europe and america in exchange the art-loving people of japan gave their visitors beautiful works in bronze lacquer porcelain bamboo ivory silk and paper and great swords spears and shields wonderfully inlaid and decorated that were handed down from their feudal days while the fleet stayed japanese spy boats kept watch in the bay to see that their young men did not board the foreign ships in their desire to see something of the world time and again the young ishoda shuin and a friend tried to break through the blockade but every time they were sent back to shore at last the two left do for the port of shimoda the americans set up telegraph poles and laid rails to show the working of the model locomotive they gave an exhibition of the steam engine this caused great excitement in the country near do and every one who could went to see the strange performance already there was a struggle between those who were eager to learn the inventions of the americans and those who were afraid that the new ideas would spoil old japan many an ambitious youth stared at the mikado's presence and tried to learn more of their secrets from the sailors on their way to or from the fleet the treaty was signed on march thirty first eighteen fifty four and agreed that shipwrecked sailors should be cared for provisions needed by ships should be obtained in the ports and american vessels allowed to anchor in the two harbors of shimoda and hakodate actual trade was not yet allowed nor were americans to be permitted to reside in japan the hermit nation was not at all eager to enter into competition with other countries nor to allow foreigners to trade with her commodore perry knew however that even the slight terms he had gained would prove the beginning of the opening up of japan to the rest of the world april eighteenth eighteen fifty four perry left the bay of do for shimoda and there the fleet stayed until early in may while the squadron was there two americans who were botanizing on land met the youth yoshida shon and his friend the young japanese gave the americans a letter but seeing some native officers approaching he and his friend stole away a few nights later the watch on the warship mississippi heard voices calling americans americans they found the two japanese youths in a small boat and took them on board paper and writing materials were found hidden in their clothes and they explained that they wanted to go with the fleet to america and write down what they saw there the commodore however felt that he was in honor bound to send the two young men back to their homes and did so yoshida later came to be one of the leaders of the new japan that ended the long line of shogun rulers and made the mikado the actual emperor the fleet cruised from one port to another now well received by the people who had forgotten their fear of the barbarians fire vessels the governors of the different provinces gave presents to perry among them blocks of native stone to be used in building the great obelisk that was rising on the banks of the potomac river in memory of washington on july seventeenth the last of the squadron left napa for hong kong the americans had shown the japanese that they were a friendly people with no desire to harm them a race that had lived shut off from the rest of the world for so many centuries was naturally timid and fearful of strange people 
from time to time european ships had landed in japan and almost every time the sailors had done injury to the natives perry however convinced them that the united states was a friend and the treaty slight though its terms were marked the dawn of a new era in japan like the sleeping princess she awoke at the touch of a stranger from overseas end of section eleven recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida